Good morning. Um, every week we read from the we read the Bible out loud and we hear the Word of God preached as part of our liturgy of worship. And today we're going to be back in the Book of Colossians, so I'll be reading chapter three, verses five through seventeen. And after reading, I will proclaim, this is the word of the Lord, and I would invite you to respond prayerfully, speak, Lord, your servants here. Will you please stand for the reading of God's word? Colossians 3, 5 through 17. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, you were, when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. You may take your seats. Well, again, good morning, church. Thank you to uh, Rebecca for reading the text for today. Um, like she said, we are today we are jumping back into our Colossians uh, sermon series, and we are just a few weeks out from wrapping it up. We we took a break back in December. We did a uh, like an Advent sermon series, and then we started out the new year uh, talking about prayer. And uh, now we're jumping back into our study of the book of Colossians. And uh, it's been a good series. And we probably have, I think, another four or five sermons. And we'll wrap, we'll wrap that study up. Now, this morning, I want to start out our sermon by asking a question. And I think that this question is a question that um, I know that I've asked personally. And I am sure that, the, that many in this room... Um, have asked it as well. And this is the question. This is uh, on the screen. Uh, let me set it up here. Uh, here's the question. If, if we believe that Jesus lived the life that we cannot live and won't, if Jesus perfectly obeyed for us, if Jesus died the death that we deserved and therefore God sees us as perfect and blameless and holy before him because Jesus' work is enough, Then, and here's the question, then is there anything else that we need to do if we call ourselves followers of Jesus? In other words, let me say it like this. 
if we are if we are followers of Christ, if we call ourselves Christians, can we just keep on living however we want in the same way we've always lived and still be right with God? Anybody ever ask that question? I know that I did, especially as a young Christian. This is a big question. And the way that we answer this question is very important. Because on, on one hand, if we say that in order to be a Christian, we must do certain things, add certain things, and change the way we live, we could be in danger of adding to the gospel of grace and simply becoming a moralist or a behaviorist who, who believes that good morals in good behavior is what makes us right with God. But on the other hand, if, if we say that we don't need to do anything else and change anything in our lives, we are in danger of being lawless and immoral. And, and possibly, we might believe that we are Christians when we are not. So this is a big question. What is the answer to this question? Well, that is exactly what we will see today in Colossians 3. And here is the big idea. Here's the big idea for this sermon. If you remember one thing, remember this. Because we are in Christ, because we are in Jesus, we have the power to live in a brand new way. And this is not only to be displayed individually, but in and by the church community, the community of the church. That is kind of the big thing we are going to look at today. But we, we have to start, just for a few minutes, talking about our union with Christ. And the reason that we need to start there is because chapter 3 cannot be disconnected from chapter 2, since it seems to be this one continuous thought. Now, in your Bibles, if you have a Bible, uh, grab, that, grab that real quick. If you need a Bible, we've got some Bibles in the back that you can grab. And uh, if you don't own one, take it. Let it be our gift for you. But in our Bibles, look at chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul says, With Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. So circle that word, died. And then connect this verse to chapter 3, verse 1, where Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ... So think about two words, die, uh, dying with Christ and being raised with Christ. Now this death and being raised with Christ is what we call the believer's union with Jesus. This is a truth that we have to understand if we are going to know how we are to live as followers of Jesus in this world. So just for a few minutes, notice how Paul explains this. First, he says that we have died with Christ. And obviously, when Paul says this, he does not mean a bodily death, right? He means this in a spiritual way. When you and I, if we call ourselves Christians, when we believe and trust in Jesus, that he lived in our place, that, died, that he died in our place, we have then died with Christ. When Jesus said, it is finished, those who believe in Jesus, his people for whom he died, died with him and died in him. He was our representative in death 
And it is as, uh, as if God sees that we died with Jesus. So this means that his death is applied to our relationship with God. His death paid the penalty for our sin. This means that there is now no more condemnation. There is no more fear of God's judgment. You know this, right? But this, is, this is great news. And if you've never heard these news, if you've never believed and trusted in Jesus, I would invite you to, to ask who, whoever you came with to tell you more about Christ and what He has done for us. Now this, this dying with Christ, this, this, this thing about identifying with Jesus' death, also means that Jesus' death destroyed and wrecked the power that sin had over us. Sin had us in shackles. Sin had us in straitjackets. Sin had us in prison. We were dead in our sin to God, but alive to sin. We were, all of us, under the domination and the dictation of sin. All we could do when faced with temptation was say yes to sin before we came to know and believe in Jesus. We had no power to say no to temptation and sin. But when Jesus lived perfectly in our place by obeying every law that God set for us, when he died for us as well, he broke the back of the slave master of sin. He triumphed over sin, and his triumph over sin became ours when he died on the cross because we died with him. And all this, you guys, is good news. We've died with Christ. There is now no more condemnation. There is now no more fear. And now sin has no more power over us because we have died with Christ. That is great news. Uh, the second thing, quickly, that Paul says about our union with Christ is that we have not only died with Him on the cross, but we've been raised with Christ. Jesus' resurrection is the proof that he's the Son of God. And the proof that, that everything he did in this life and death was accepted by God. And just like we spiritually died with him to the power and the penalty of our sin, when Jesus was raised, we were also spiritually raised with him. Romans 6 says this better than I ever could. Romans 6 says this, We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in, check this out, newness of life. We were raised to walk in a brand new way in Jesus. And so the implication of these truths begin to answer the question that we opened with. So if, if you and I have trusted and believed in Jesus, if we are disciples of Jesus, if we follow Jesus, then this union with Christ means that we will think, we will walk, we will live, we will act, we will speak in a brand new way. Why? Because we are united with him. The, the, the effect of this union with Christ is basically all over in display in chapter 3 of Colossians. And in Paul's mind, our union with Jesus is everything to us as Christians. 
being united with him in his death, destroyed the power of sin over us so that we could have power to live a brand new life. And it secured the joy of being free from the penalty of sin so we don't have to run from God anymore. There is no more condemnation, no more fear of judgment. And it is in this union with Jesus that all our spiritual experiences, all our spiritual insights, all spiritual change, all spiritual power, all spiritual growth and maturity comes from. And so that is why this is such a critical truth that we have to understand. And so as you read your Bible uh, throughout the week, notice this from now on. Anytime Paul or a New Testament writer gives us a command, they will always begin by showing us what Jesus has done for us before they give the command. And it is done like this, so we never disconnect obedience from the life and the power of Christ working in us. This is what is happening here in our text in Colossians. F.F. F. Bruce put it rightly when he said, what God has done for his people in Jesus is the grand argument and incentive for Christian living. So that is, that is the, the foundation of the whole thing we're going to look at today because of what Jesus has done for us. If we have died with him, we have also been raised with him. Now we have power to live in a brand new way. Why? For the glory of God, for the good of others, and the gospel advancing. So look at our text now, Colossians 3. Because we were raised with Jesus, like I said, we can now live in a brand new way. And Paul is going to show us what this brand new way looks like. In chapter 3, there are several commands with one overriding principle. The commands are these, seek, set, put on, and Put off. Now, we already spent a whole sermon looking at the first two commands, seek and said. You can listen to that sermon on our website if you've not listened to it. But today we're going to look at the next two commands that we are to obey, which are put on and put off. And we obey these commands because we are united with Christ. Now, the first of the two commands, you can find it in verse 5, which is put to death what is earthly in you. Kill those things that are earthly in you. Obliterate them. Destroy them. Blow them up to smithereens. Get rid of them. Earthly is is anything that according to verse 6 will be under the wrath of God, the judgment of God. These are things that are violations of God's uh, character, of God's commands for holiness of heart, holiness of mind, holiness of body. Anything, anything idolatrous, anything that makes us covet or want something too much. As well as things that create disharmony with people like anger and wrath and malice and slander. All of these things are sinful vices and they are earthly. And here is the list, the hit list of sins to kill, verses 5 and 8. First is sexual sin. I find it very interesting. It is curious to me that Paul begins most 
if not all his lists of sin with sexual sin. Sexual sin is, is unloving because you are using another person for your own selfish pleasure and possibly leading them into sin. This could be mental, this could be physical, this could be emotional. Sexual sin includes sex with somebody that you're not married to, whether it is premarital or, or adultery. It includes lust and pornography which make people objects, as well as it includes other unrestrained passions for all kinds of appetites. The second thing on this list is material sin. This is how we view the stuff of other people. It's, it's greed, basically making idols out of creation. It's the belief, if I have this thing, I'll be happy. This is the cause of a lot of conflict in this world today. And at the core of this sin is the sin of entitlement. Believing that I deserve what I don't have and I want what you have. Coveting leads to feelings of entitlement, of taking, of consuming, of fighting, of occupying. And its heart is fear. A lack of gratitude and overwhelming discontentment. And the last thing on this list is verbal sin, how we communicate with others. Jesus said that, that the mouth is one of the best revealers of what's going on in the heart. Words, words can reveal hatred and pride or preoccupation with sinful things. We can very easily kill with our words and hurt and put down people with the things that come out of our mouth. It also goes further than that to, to lying, which is always done to gain man's approval or to avoid their rejection. And so what Paul is saying to us here by this command is this, and the, the way of your old life, Christian, has decisively changed because of what Jesus has done for you and because of your union with him. Because you are one with Christ, these sins no longer have mastery over you. They have no more dominion over you. They have no more control over you because you've been hidden and united with Christ. Therefore, put them off like an old garment and throw them away. So you know what this means? It means that late at night, as you're perusing the internet, the tyranny of pornography is defeated by the power of Christ in you. You don't have to obey its lust. It means that your sinful cravings of one another's possessions, property, gifts, spouse, don't have to affect you anymore. It means that the, the anger you feel towards your boss, the impatience you have towards your children, the bitterness you hold towards a former friend who became an enemy doesn't have the power over you anymore. You've been raised with Christ, therefore you can put to death what is earthly in you. Now let me share with you how has this played out in my life. Now, I became a Christian when I was almost 18 years old. I was a month out from turning 18. And I would, um, my, my teenage years were really described by, by making a bunch of ridiculous, foolish choices, just living an immoral life, seeking, seeking pleasure now. I was, I was running 
as far away as I could, away from God into all kinds of vice and sin. And a lot of that really began with small compromises. One of the things that was a major issue in my life as a teenager was that I asked my mother when I was about 12 or 13 if I could have a TV in my room. And for whatever reason, she obliged. And here comes a TV in my bedroom. And so late at night, I would, um, you, know, just, you know, be awake, laying in bed, you know, flipping through channels. And I remember that, that one night I watched this scene, this image that was completely immoral. And it, 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 um, it fed this desire. And from 13 to 17, I was hooked nightly watching things that I should not be watching that were very immoral in content and in nature. And then I became a Christian at 18 years old, almost 18. And, uh, and, and I, I was convicted of my sin. I had a desire to, to, to please Jesus, to glorify him with my life. So I, I came up with this plan. I like, I like planning. I'm a planner. And so here's, here's the plan that I came up with. This is honest to God, true story. I'm not making any of this up. This actually happened. The first thing I did is I, I walked into my room and I said, how are we going to overcome this sin? How, how am I going to put off this thing that keeps happening? So the first thing I did, brilliant, unplugged the TV. The second thing I did is I, I looked for the controller. I opened up the battery case and I took one of the batteries out and I went to put it in my closet. And then I put the controller in my nightstand. Then, then I went to go get a towel. I, again, I'm not making this up. And I put the towel over the TV. And then I went to go get a post-it note, and I wrote in big, bold letters, do you really want to compromise? And I slapped that on the TV. Now, the thought behind this whole ridiculous plan was that I was going to have to say yes to sin like five or six times before I actually could ever turn on the TV and look for something stupid to watch. Now, the smart person would just grab the TV and take it out of the room. <laughs> but I'm not very smart. So that I, 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 I had this whole process, very complicated process set up to, to overcome sin and temptation. But here is where I... Uh, where I uh, Here's what I believe that was wrong. I believe that I had within myself the power to accomplish this. I believe that if I just white-knuckled this thing, if I just was disciplined, that if I just created these boundaries, that if I just, you know, willpowered this thing out, I would overcome sin and be able to put off these very sinful things that were... Uh, keeping me in, chain, in chains and entangled. And the reality is that as good as discipline, as good as boundaries and protection and all that stuff is, it was never enough. Because I was relying on myself. I have the power. I can do this. It was me trying to overcome this thing that was bigger than me, rather than humbly relying on Jesus the power of God, the means of grace that he has provided for us. Knowing Christ, falling deeply in love with Jesus and allowing the power of this new affection to expel other affections in my soul. 
I was connecting to the wrong power source, which was myself, rather than connecting and plugging into God and His grace and and pursuing Him and knowledge of Him. Spiritual disciplines, means of grace. And one of the biggest things that really allowed me to experience uh, victory and freedom over sin was destroying that idea, that belief that I'm in this by myself. I'm a very individualistic person. I'm very independent. But God created us to flourish in community. And only real all the discipline, all the things that I put in place were helpful, but only really when I started opening up in humble vulnerability, in humble dependence upon the people that God, safe people that God put around me to expose my sin and say, I need help, I can't do this alone. Then did God really bring true freedom and victory over sin in my life. We are not meant to do this alone. I needed the community of God's people to put off some things in my life. We'll talk about that more in just a few moments. So the thing that Paul says first is put off these things. They are not who you are anymore. Put them off. Take them off. And the second command then is this, found in verse 12, which is put on Christ. Put on Christ. The, the Greek word here, used here, is the Greek word enduno, which is often used when talking about putting on or wearing clothes. So Paul is saying, dress yourself, Christian. Clothe yourself with these things that I'm going to tell you in just a second. So the opposite is also true. Ask Christians, take off those old clothes that don't belong to you anymore and put these new clothes that we have now. It's not this this passive thing, but this active verb. And it's clear that the clothing is symbolic of purity and righteousness. Christian, we, we cannot follow Christ without putting something off, but that doesn't mean that following Jesus is only about the things that we put off. You, you not only have to put on a, often the old self, you have to put on the new self. And your new self looks more and more like the one who created and sustains every corner of the universe. As horrible as we looked in our sin, where God found us, we are now being rebuilt and refined in his spectacular image. And so here is the list of things that Paul says we are to put on. These are our new clothes, verses 12 and 14. Compassionate hearts. Put on compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, love, and thankfulness. Anytime that Paul gives us this put-off list, you can always count that there will be a put-on list as well. And there is no better list than this one right here. Rather than selfish immorality, put on sacrificial love. Rather than slandering an enemy, forgive them. Rather than being angry at others and hurling insults at them, put on kindness. And the power to do this comes from our union with Christ. 
But you've got to notice how many of the things in this list that we are to put on and put off our, our uh, heart things. The issue is the heart, our, our internal transformation. And I often believe, I have often believed, and I really do think that our struggle to obey is more than just about keeping these rules, but really deep down it is a struggle to believe that God really knows best and that he is good and that he has his best interest in mind, that he loves you. The issue is our heart. Internal transformation. We are spiritually buried with him and raised with him so we can live in a brand new way so this internal transformation can actually happen and there is remarkable power given to us by Jesus. Now, now with these commands, there seems to be this overriding principle which you find in verse 17. Verse 17 says this, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So here is really the heart of the change. As humans, we are by nature self-focused. Man-centered. We are, by nature, selfish idolaters who want what we want when we want it. And we are on the lookout for me, myself, and I. But our, in our union with Christ, He transforms that selfish idolatry. God makes it possible for us to do everything, whether speech, work, or deed, or in thought, in the name and for the glory of Jesus. And that is the power of our union with Him. And this overriding principle helps us know what is earthly in us that should be put off and what is heavenly which we should be putting on. So when we are choosing an activity, we can ask questions like this. Can I thank God for this? Can I honor God in this activity? Will this activity bring God fame? In choosing how to treat people, we can ask, does this glorify God and show His love, hospitality, grace towards others? In deciding on hard ethical questions, which are many, we can ask, can I do this without compromising my faith in Jesus or my conscience? And if I do this, will it bring a good report on Jesus' name? And because of the power from our union with Jesus, we can honor Him. Only through that power can we put off our sinful ways and put on Christ. Now, let me say one more thing about how we are changed. Look at verse 10 of chapter 3. And have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. What does it mean to be renewed in knowledge? Putting on the new man is not something we first do, but something we know, and in particular, someone we know. Christian maturity is not only marked by the sins that we put to death, but by this deeper personal knowledge of and intimacy with God and a deeper commitment to God's people, the church. Because here's the deal. You can avoid pornography completely. You can refrain from ever boiling in anger. 
You can never cheat on your taxes and still hate Jesus. But you cannot experience the compassion, the humility, the peace, the joy, and love that only comes to those who love and know Him. So as we deepen our knowledge of God in relationship with Him, we discover new aspects and expressions of this new self. So, Christian, if you do one th- if you're looking for practical things this morning, do this one thing. Give yourself to knowing Jesus. As you know him, as you spend time with him, as you grow in intimacy with him, you will be renewed and transformed. Now this happens to us in life. How many of you guys have ever spent a weekend away with uh, friends? Uh, maybe when you were younger, maybe you know, now. And after hanging out with those people, you begin to, to you, you pick up on idiosyncrasies and things that they do and say. Anybody ever had that experience? I'm a little kid. I was born, raised in Mexico, and I moved to uh, East Texas to go to Bible school. And I was put in a room with a Canadian and a guy from Boston. Okay? Uh, that's, a, that's like a TV show waiting to happen, you know? And so my, 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 uh, my friend from uh, New England, he was like the stereotypical New England guy. He was a Boston Red Sox guy, a New England Patriots dude. I mean, he, was, he bled New England. And I just hung, we hung out together a bunch. And a few months into this, I find myself saying things like, that's wicked awesome. And I'm like, dude, I'm the little kid from Mexico using phrases from New England. Then I lived in Texas for 10 years. And I I kid you not, I made fun of, verbally, I, I opposed country music. I was like, I will never wear cowboy boots this is, this, is, this is ridiculous. But after 10 years, guess who's the first guy listening to country music in my pickup truck wearing cowboy boots? <laughs> this guy right here. But the point is this. As, as I, as I, as I uh, uh, gave, gave myself to knowing the people around me, I became like them. And is that not the truth also spiritually? Before you, before you put boundaries and you use discipline to put things on and put things off, the most important thing we can do is what? Give yourself to knowing Jesus. Let, let the, the power of that affection expel other things from your soul and from your heart. If anybody is interested, you should look up an old sermon from Puritan Thomas Chalmers called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Read it online for free. Let it simmer in your soul. And that just basically drives the point that I just made home. Get yourself, to, give yourself to knowing Christ. That is how we, we put him on more and more. Now let's finish with this. So we are to individually put things off. We are to take some old clothes off and we are to put on these new things. Now, what does a community in union with Christ who is doing that together looks like? That'd be pretty cool, huh? 
Now look how corporate this text is here in chapter 3. How much Paul has the local church in mind. Look at verses 9, 10, 11, 13, 15, 16. Paul says things like one another, each other. In verse 10, he uses the word here to refer to the local church. In verse 15, he talks about one body. So basically, Paul is saying this. The new self, the new creation is to be lived out, yes, by individuals, but also in and by the corporate community of the church. This text is not individualistic. It's not about individuals living by themselves, but it's about individuals living in community for the glory of God, for the good of others, and the gospel going forward. So notice a couple things about how our individual union with Christ affects the community of the church. The first thing is this. Christ is all that matters to us, and this means that earthly boundaries... National boundaries do not and should not separate us. Notice verse 11. Here there is no Greek and Jew, no circumcised and uncircumcised. Here there is no barbarian or Scythian, nor slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So in our union with Christ, all who claim Jesus, we are all on equal footing. And no one has the right to claim supremacy except that of Jesus. And because of our union with him, all our old prejudices, all our old racial divides and socioeconomic boundaries no longer hold sway over our hearts. Only Christ does. Listen, where else could the slave relate to the freedman? Where else could the barbarian relate to the Greek? Where else could the Caucasian person have a meal with a Latino? Where else could a Jew celebrate with a Syrian? Where else could the bank teller worship with the president of the bank? All of this happens when individuals are united with Christ and he is all that matters. So here's a question for you. Where in your life are earthly or national boundaries more important to you than Jesus? Where do earthly lines of separation rule your heart where Christ wants you to change? In the community of Christians, he is all that matters to us in earthly or national boundaries. Do not and should not separate us. And lastly, here is how or what a community in union with Christ looks like. We all have a part to play in encouraging one another's faith. Notice how Paul puts this in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, in singing psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So you see, when we are individually united with Christ, not only is Jesus all that matters, but his word to us is what we want to hear and what we want to share. And we should desire to do this in community. Paul's encouragement here shows us something powerful. Yes, the church is to have faithful pastors who teach us God's word to help us grow into maturity, but better yet, the people of the church individually are to bring something to the party as well. 
They are to teach and admonish one another. And we are to sing together with thankfulness in our hearts to God. The reality is, church, that we need each other. Now go back to that idea of, of, of uh, that Greek word that put on means, uh, r- relates to putting on, uh, uh, putting on clothing, right? That idea that we are to put on some new clothes, take some old clothes away. Now my kids are little. And in, in, in most often it's my daughter who is always asking for, for help in getting dressed, right? So, so we help her. Maybe even, even those of us who are older. Every now and then when I wear a sweater, I always ask my wife, hey, would you make sure that the back of my sweater is all, you know, it's not all crumpled and weird. So I'm asking for help in getting dressed. So think about that idea of how we ask for help in, in dressing ourselves from when we're little to when we're older. How does that relate to our spiritual putting on and putting off? I need you. I need your help in getting dressed so that I can look more like Jesus. I need your help in in taking some of the old clothing away that that does not belong with those who who believe in Jesus and, and does not please God. So I need you. We need each other. This is my, my, my encouragement to you to, to not neglect the gathering of the saints. We need you here Sunday mornings. You need each other here Sunday mornings. You need each other Monday night, Tuesday night, Sunday night, when, at, at your home gathering. You need each other to put on and put off some things because we are united with Christ. So this tells us that when we gather together, It's not about getting something out of it, primarily. It's about each member of the church giving something to the community of the church. You see the difference? We live in an entertainment culture in America. Give Give me, entertain me, what's in it for me? Me, me, me. And this is not primarily about that. So we are to give something to the community of the church. It's about shaking hands with intention. It's about praying when we have the privilege. It's about extending friendship and hospitality when it's needed. It's about speaking God's word to each other as a way to correct and instruct and exhort it's about sharing a testimony or, or a story so that others can be given courage. It's about singing loudly with thanksgiving because Christ is all in all to us and he's all that matters. So here is a final question for you. Is your union with Christ affecting how you see the family of the church? Are you letting the word of Christ dwell in you personally richly so that you can share it corporately with others? Are you coming to give something or to get something? Friends, this is the power of Christ at work in us. 
So to answer our question from the beginning, as Christians, we are to live in a brand new way. We should not go on living in our old sinful patterns. And the way we can live in a brand new way is only because of our union with Christ. It is by Christ, it is through Christ, and for Christ that we live. And it will have an effect on the community of believers that we belong to, and it should be a witness and the greatest apologetic that we have to the community around us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you for living the life that we can't. Thank you for dying the death that we deserved. And thank you for, for rising again, conquering death, sin, and the grave. Thank you that, that for, for those of us who, who believe in that and trust in that, there is no more condemnation. There is no more guilt. There is no more shame. There is no more fear or a desire to run from you. But we can come to you with confidence. I pray, Lord Jesus, for those who, who may have never, uh, who, who, who may not call themselves Christians, may they today see the beauty of Jesus. Lord, I thank you as well for, for raising us up to live in newness of life, to walk in newness of life. So, Father, I pray that you would uh, empower us more and more daily. Give us grace more and more daily to put those things off that are sinful vices and put on Jesus. I pray that we would not do that alone. We are not meant to do that alone. Help us to lean into the means of grace that you've provided for us and help us to lean into the community of the church. We, we need help in getting dressed, Lord. Help us to to, to, to walk that out, to be those kind of people, Lord. And Father, may we be people who give ourselves, before we do anything uh, practical or we, before we set up any boundaries or, or whatever, that we be people who give ourselves to knowing Christ. And as we, as we know him, may we be transformed and may our affections for Jesus uh, expel affections for other things that are not pleasing to you. And help us to be a community united in Christ that reflects this to one another, to the world around us. For your glory, for your kingdom to come, for the gospel to advance, and for the good of others. In Jesus' name, amen.